Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Behind the Wheel, Under the Hood, and Beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show. My name is Ben. And I'm Scott. And we're here with our super producer. What, what do you, you want to do the nickname honors today? Mm. Oh, this is going to be a tough one. All right. Let's say, um, no jaws of life. Yeah. Noel, the Jaws of Life Brown, is here uh, with us as always. And today, uh, we are going to take a page from uh, our earlier show, and we're going to give you sort of 1.1 podcast today, because we'd like to open up with a special episode of Stuff Scott Sees. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about uh, the Lane Motor Museum today, because I went recently to the Lane Motor Museum, and I remember years and years ago, Ben, when we first started doing this, uh, someone wrote in, and we were asking for, uh, you know, museums in the area that we could visit. And yeah. Like that. And a lot of people wrote in with different places from all over the United States and all over the world, really, mm -hmm. and said, if you ever get in this area, you know, try this one, try that one. And one of them was the Lane Motor Museum, and it's right here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I remember that, you know, there were several listeners that said, this is one you need to go to. It's a really good one. Yeah. Well, finally, I mean, I guess it was uh, early July of this year. Uh, finally, we were in the area. My wife and I were there for a concert and over the weekend in Nashville. And on Saturday after the concert, you know, was over, I had a couple hours to kill and we were staying right near, I, I was staying in, uh, I believe it was in, uh, Franklin, uh, Tennessee and it was right next to, uh, the Lane Motor Museum. Mm -hmm. And I thought this is a perfect opportunity. I'm going. So I went for a couple of hours in the afternoon. It was on, and I'll tell you the date. It was July 11th. And that's important when we get in just a moment here, but, um, fantastic exhibit and i walked in and uh they had a sign out in front it said they were offering a basement tour yeah and yeah. the basement tour now i was a little bit bummed because they said it's at two times you know they're having it at uh you know 12 30 and 2 30 and i had forgotten about the time switch so i thought i was off on the time right but when i walk in he asked me the guy that's you know taking the tickets and it was a couple of bucks it's not very expensive he says would you like to take the basement tour? And I said, of course I would like to take the basement right, tour. Right, right, right. Well, here's your ticket. Go. They're leaving right now. So I walked <laughs> in. That was the very first thing I did was went straight down to the basement with the tour group. 
and it was unbelievable. I mean, if if you can make it there and and see the basement tour, mm. oh, it's it's one hundred percent worth it. It was like an extra six dollars to go to the basement. Totally worth it. That was maybe even to me, Ben, maybe even better than the upper area, the the, the normal show area. It sounded like you said it was uh, definitely better. I was I was just blown away by what was down there. And some of the vehicles aren't in the best repair. No, no, no. That's the thing. This is the basement area. So this is where they have their shop. You know, this is where the mechanic works on all the cars down there. Um, there's one, you know, one bay area, one lift. But there are hundreds of cars in the basement. Now, upstairs, there might be, I'm going to ballpark this. There all might right. be 150 to 200 cars upstairs. I mean, that's a guess. Um, downstairs, it seems like there's twice that ma- that many. Now, I know that total the total collection is nearing 600 cars, so I don't know exactly the numbers here, but sure. the basement is so packed, so tight with cars, it's it's just remarkable. And what you see down there is things like, you know, cars with a little bit of rust on them, cars uh-huh. that have some dents, cars that have, you know, oil stains beneath them because the engines, you know, need seals. Um, you know, cars that are uh, missing a door, you know, things like that. Maybe, okay, not many are missing pieces, but, <laughs> but some of them are missing pieces. And, you know, maybe that's because they're off somewhere else being repaired or fixed or, or, um, matched or something. Right. Like yeah. That. They've got, um, uh, they've got all this other stuff though. Like they have, uh, King Midgets, Curtis Craft, uh, Midget Racers. Um, and they've got, when you, when you see the way this stuff is, is parked, it's very much a um, a behind the scenes look. Oh, absolutely, and they're a little dusty, you know. And yeah. uh, but here's the thing with the Lane Museum is that they try to drive all of their cars twice a year. I think that uh-huh. was what they said. They, now, our tour guide, his name was Aaron, in the basement. There was another tour guide that kind of hung a lot, hung around us, but didn't say a whole lot. But Aaron was the main tour guide, and extremely knowledgeable. This guy, very, very, uh, very uh, funny. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he's just knew everything about any car that anybody asked about, too, because it wasn't just like he would go from, you know, this one to that one. And it wasn't like just a set group of vehicles anywhere that anybody stopped and asked him about any vehicle. He seemed to know about it. And if he didn't know about it, the other tour guide knew about it. So these guys know their stuff. I mean, backwards and forwards. And then you uh, talked a little bit about the story on our Facebook page, yeah. uh, Car Stuff HSW. Yeah, this this is where it got a little weird. Now, <laughs> this will take about one minute to go through this, but... Okay. So I'm, you know, okay, I, I mentioned that I was there, I think, and, and... Oh, actually, you know what? This is this is uh, in, in an even more roundabout way. I was looking for the the um, the ID on a truck that I had found on vacation. Yeah. And it was this old military truck. Turns out it was a... Uh, Oh, what was it? It was a French vehicle of some kind. I can't remember which which it was, but um, not important now. Anyway, so along the lines in there, someone wrote in something like, "Oh, it must be nice going on vacation in the South Pacific when I got I had to be drug all around the Northeast and had to go to the <laughs> had to go to the Lane Motor Museum, even had to be taken on a basement tour and saw a Dymaxion replica and you know on and on like that." And right. I was thinking, okay, there's something funny about this email or this uh, this Facebook post. Because it's exactly what I did the previous weekend, like four days ago. And I was thinking somebody knew I was there or was watching me or right. it was one of the tour guides that was writing. Because I was kind of friendly with them, talked to them about the show and everything. Yeah, and you were a little bit uh, weirded out. I, I was a little bit, uh, a little bit, not disturbed, but, you know, just questioning what's going on. Yeah. Like, you know, when you feel like someone's been watching you, uh-huh. it's a little bit like that. And I thought, that's strange. So. I wrote back and I said, "Hey, are you by any chance that second guy, you know, tour guy on the group, not Aaron, but the other guy?" And the person it was about a day after this, and he wrote back and said, "No, that's not me, but uh, but I really was there at the museum." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Oh, that's interesting." We got this back and forth uh, messaging, and it was like, it turns out that this is a listener from New York. 
His name is uh, his name was D- David W. and his son Dylan was there with him. They were from New York. They happened to be at the Lane Motor Museum on the same weekend I was there. The same day I was there. Wow. They were on the tour prior to mine. There's a twelve thirty tour and a two thirty tour. They were on the twelve thirty. So we missed each other by two hours. We would have been on the same basement tour. How strange is that? My first trip there ever, his first trip there ever. It's just a, a weird coincidence. And we pieced all this together on Facebook mm-hmm. over something completely different, just an offhand <laughs> remark I made. But it was such a strange thing. But, man, that uh, that tour is unbelievable. In any museum, we talked about the Peterson Museum having a basement tour. Right. And how incredible that was. And we didn't even get to go on that. We just saw the photos of it and the descriptions of it. If you can make it to the Lane Museum, if you're in the area or any museum around you, you know, whatever region of the world you happen to be in, if you can take one of those basement tours, I 100% think that that's a great idea to, to do that. It's an extra five or ten bucks or whatever. Just do it. It's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know what? Now that you mention it, that's what I was, when I was naming those, uh, the Curtis Craft, that's actually in the Peterson Museum. So let me save anybody the trip if they're going to the Lane Museum on purpose. We uh, just to see those vehicles. Uh, there is a Dymaxion replica. There, there is a Dymaxion, which is which replica. is worth it, even though a Dymaxion is just a terrible car. <laughs> Absolutely, but you know what? There's so many fantastic cars there. And what's funny is, you know, David and I were talking, and we were saying like, "Well, what's your favorite car?" On the main floor, what's your favorite car in the basement? Yeah. And he was sending me photos that were nearly identical to the photos that I took on that same day of the same vehicles. And I would say, that's really funny. Look at this. And I sent him back <laughs> the same perspective yeah. of a car that was, you know, three behind another one. So, you know, you had to even, like, stretch your arms to take that photo. But he took similar photographs. It was a, an unbelievable coincidence. Great really, minds think alike. It really right? wasn't. And you know what? This museum is just I, I can't say enough good things about the Lane Motor Museum. I really mm-hmm. can't. We, you, me, and you mm-hmm. need to take a day trip there sometime. Oh yeah, maybe and, grab, uh, maybe grab uh, some uh, video people and, and uh, see if we could film there too. Absolutely, That'd be cool. It, it would be so much fun. That place is yeah. amazing. It's really nice and it's very close to us. So, yeah, it's not that far. So no excuse. All right. So that's all I wanted to say <laughs> about that. But uh, but if you can make it to the Lane Motor Museum yes. and the basement tour, do so. It's well worth it. Uh, and race. Over there, as soon as you can, as soon as you hear about that basement tour. Now, I feel like you're leading into something, Ben. You know, I am not the most subtle of people. That is true. Uh, that today, uh, we are talking about racing, but we're not talking about racing in the way that we have talked about it in the past. Yeah, definitely. We're talking about all of it. We're talking about how if, if race cars are the superstars, if race cars are the talent, who get out in front and the ones that uh, hundreds of thousands or even millions of people watch, then just like any other celebrity, those race cars have an entourage. Mm-hmm. Those race cars have a crew of other vehicles. And that's what we're talking about today, racing support vehicles. Yeah, so we're not talking about the people really involved no, in this no, either because no. the race drivers are, are extreme talents and they're For celebrities sure. as, in their own right. Uh, the team owners, a lot of times, you know, they're well known, you know, in the racing circles. And, uh, just that's, that's an important part of the whole story. We understand that, but we're talking about the vehicles that surround the series. Now, not, this is difficult because we're talking about so many different types of series. So when you think about a, um, you know, a particular event, a particular type of race or t- uh, type of, um, um, a showing of some kind, you know, sure. what, as I don't know, I don't know if I want to call like a tractor pull a race, but, that like also an has exhibition. Yeah, an exhibition. That's a good way an to put event. it. So, so any, yeah, that's it. An automotive event of some kind or yeah. a mechanical show of some kind. Right, right. <laughs> that's funny. A mechanical show. Mechanical. Um, 
So when you think of all the surrounding vehicles that are necessary, the support vehicles that we're going to talk about today, yeah, you have to think like to this very granular level of like, okay, well, they probably use like scooters to get around the pits. They use sure. golf carts to do mm-hmm. this. They use a tractor to do this. That's what we're talking about today. And it's not just one type of series, not just F1, not just IndyCar, not just tractor pulls, mm-hmm. drag racing, whatever. It's, it's across the board. It's all of them. So we've got examples of all these. And I know we'll forget a couple because you can't name every support vehicle in every series. That's, there's sure. no way to do that. Uh, we also have we, we also have an entire podcast on the role of the pace car. Yes, we do. And the, well, I think we call it the safety car. Safety. Or, was it, or was it pace car? Uh, oof, maybe boy, we're getting old. I think we did the pace car and we talked about the safety car because that's what they call it in F1. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's probably it. Cause yeah. here in the States, we call it pace car typically. And we even yeah. talked to a pace car driver. Remember there's a oh, guy yeah, that, that was uh, super cool. Yeah, it is. There, we have somebody, uh, a listener in our audience that, um, that has experience driving a pace car on the weekends. So that's, yeah. that's kind of fun. Um, uh, but this, this in a roundabout way came about from a listener mail and the guy's name was Doug L. Uh, you know what? I think we've read his name before. I'm just going to read it. Okay. It's Doug Lockwood. And Doug Lockwood <laughs> wrote in, and he says he's from Wheaton, Illinois, or mm-hmm. Wheaton, Illinois. Wheaton. So like, Wheaton. Like cool whip. Like the uh, the safety word will be whiskey. <laughs> All right. So uh, Doug writes in, and he says, hey, Scott and Ben, thanks for a great podcast. I'm a big fan of transportation trivia, and you cover it all. I've gone back and uh, listened to almost every Car Stuff episode. Oh, no small feat. Oh, that's a long time. And uh, there's always something new to learn. You guys are the Duke and Earl of all things automotive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember this one. Now. We yeah. read it in the Nuts and Bolts podcast. Uh-huh. All right. So, again, I think that, you know, the initial email was about something else. He wrote in about um, car badges and emblems. That was his main interest was that mm-hmm. he has a, um, I think, a graphic arts illustration right, background. Right, which we still haven't. Done. It's on the books. It's on the books. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> we're we're, uh, we're we're gearing up for that. One. We're working on it. Yeah, we are. And uh, he says, uh, just as a side note, I guess also something else I'd li- like to learn more about are racetrack push trucks. Um, I've attached a picture of my 1954 pickup, and I plan to make it into an old school work truck, a cruiser with weathered patina. What a cool look that is! By yeah, the way. I love that look. The, uh, the like the weathered old shop mm-hmm. truck look. I, mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. Right now. Is uh, it's a '54 Chevy pickup truck, and I've got a photo of it, and it's uh, it's in really good shape. It's like a show truck. It's shiny paint and everything. Sure, yeah. I think he wants to give it a more weathered shop truck look, mm-hmm. which is an, an interesting thing to do to to bring it, like to take it backwards, I guess. Yeah, bring it back to yeah. earth. And I, you know what, I like that. I like that. But he says that um, uh, he wants to uh, he wants to have you know it to have modern upgrades, but no frills. You know, just like no frills utility. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling 
is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll board it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, specifically, I'd like to fashion a specialty bumper like those um, archived drag strip photos, uh, but I don't see much info out there about the evolution of push trucks behind the scenes. Um, it's a, usually the race cars and drivers that get the glory, which is what you just talked about. Yep. And he sends a, a link here and it shows a bunch of, um, um, old, uh, push trucks, I guess, from out on the salt flats. Mm-hmm. And these are amazingly cool photos. Now this comes from, uh, the link. If you want to look it up, it's on the ham, you know, which stands for, as we know, hokey ass message board, <laughs> uh, which is a, um, a discussion forum. And I think the user, just in case you want to look it up by that, his name is uh, shifty rat. Uh, back in 2012. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Shifty rat. Anyways, so um, look up, I, I guess, uh, push trucks, and you'll find it there. But there's some really, really cool photos. And, and basically, these are just trucks that have something attached to the front end, a, uh, a battering ram, if you will, to push a race car up to speed and allow it to get going. So it's like yeah. a it's like a way to bump start a race car that, that can't start on its own with electric ignition. Mm-hmm. So that's really what he's going for there. Um, you know, I, I tried to dig into... Um, you know, the history of, of these push trucks and everything, but, but really what it comes down to is these were just shop trucks. These were just the trucks that the guys right. drove out into the, uh, the salt flats with the, you know, the race cars. They probably pulled the, the, the car there, you know, on a trailer. Uh-huh. And this was the truck they used to pull it there. And then they just simply, you know, attach a tire to the front end or maybe not at all if the, if the bumpers line up. Right. Um, and they didn't even have to use a truck. They just used cars. They could use a station wagon. They used what was available that oh. had the heft. Sometimes it was a, a custom car back in the 1950s and 60s, uh, which, oh my crazy. gosh, it's, it is crazy when you look at the photos because they're using a car that could clearly be in a museum right now or a show winner. And they're using it to push start a race car out on the salt flats. I mean, that's, uh, it's gotta do some damage. And some, in some exhibitions now, you can see 
you can see classic uh classic trucks functioning as uh, a kind of uh ceremonial push truck oh sure yeah, yeah you can and you know i i again i love the look of the old shop trucks i i think they're fantastic looking with the patina and everything with it a lot of them will have a garage emblem on the side that's kind of faded and chipped away just fantastic and with the you know usually they're lowered they have some nice wheels on them and yeah the tires uh, got a giant en- engine usually a big v8 in them um Usually they're amazing things, but it, it boils down to this. And I saw someone quote this in this in the uh, in the ham message board. They, they said, "Really, they're just another tool in the toolbox. That's all it is. Really. Yeah. It's just a way to get that car rolling and going. It wasn't like you know this is a specialty push truck in any way. It just had that extra appendage on the front that allowed it to do that. So that's what it is. And I, I'd like to talk more about that if we can, but there's really not a whole lot. I mean, I think that when you're looking back at them now, at the old photos of the uh, you know the salt flats trucks. Um, a lot of that has to do with just nostalgia. You're looking back, you know, 50, 60, even 70 years at some of the trucks that were used for this. And, of course, you're going to be nostalgic when you see, you know, a 1942 Ford pickup that's pushing, you know, a, right. a really cool, um, you know, belly tank racer. Uh, it, it just has a, a, a look that, you know, it's something that you can't really replicate. Uh, no, I mean, I mean yeah. you, well, you can replicate it, I guess, if you had uh, those two things. Right. However... <laughs> There's a good chance that you're using a, a brand new Ford F-150 to do the same thing, or a, a Chevy Colorado, or you know whatever, yeah. a Silverado maybe, something bigger. Another thing I'd like to recommend are uh, the uh, is the website JimmyJeep.com, okay, uh, because they have some great closer looks at special built uh, push trucks. So you can see things like Sammy Sapling, Bulldog, Bulldog Two, the Fat Bottomed Lady, and then you can also see uh, pictures people have submitted of uh their push trucks from around the world uh as far away as New Zealand uh oh, cool. and then from states across the US. Yeah, that was uh, jimmyjeep.com is uh-huh. it? Uh-huh. Jimmyjeep.com. Okay. I will check that one out. That is one that I did not see. So uh yeah, we'll we'll look into that and uh and Doug, I suggest that you uh check that out as well if you don't, you know, if you haven't already seen that, you probably have at this point. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he digs into that kind of thing. Oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I I couldn't find a whole lot more about push trucks in particular. Um, other than just that, I mean, I think that, you know, we look back at them again with nostalgia and I wonder, I was wondering if like we would look back at, you know, today's trucks with that same nostalgia or if there's just not the style that, uh, that they had back then. I have, you know, I have a little bit more we could, we could point out about this. Uh, you can get, uh, on jimmyjeep.com, you can get some of the safety tips, uh, some instructions for how to build your own hoist. Uh, there is, I, I can't remember which one is the name, but there's, there's one that, uh, somebody converted a bug into, uh, into a push truck, really? essentially. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. So a Volkswagen Beetle, you would never think that that would have enough, uh, enough guts really to do it, you know, but, yeah. um, this sounds like there's probably some modification going on I, there too. I don't know how, um, I don't know how practical it might be, but, uh. <laughs> well, it depends on the size of the race car too. I mean, what's yeah. it pushing? It might be pushing a, a very small, very lightweight race car mm-hmm. versus something bigger that we think of, you know, a truck having to push. That's to true. Point. That's a very good point. But, uh, but yeah, if you'd like more information about push-up trucks, I recommend that website. Uh, it seems to be updated every, uh, every few months or so. Mm-hmm. And that is far from the only uh, invisible vehicle of racing. Yeah, there's lots of invisible vehicles. I like the way you say it, invisible vehicles, because 
there's a lot of uh, activity that happens in the pits that no one sees. So there's, you know, a lot of off-track vehicles, I guess. You know, like, uh, the, well, there's the transport uh, trailers and trucks that go along with the, the teams everywhere. Oh, yeah. All the teams there. I've got something to say about that because I've got an Indy transport vehicle as an example here. Oh, yeah. Um, let's dive into but it. Maybe, you want, let's let's yeah. list a few others. Because, oh, okay. okay. Because there's not a whole lot really to say about some of the other ones as well. So things like uh, like golf carts. You can imagine that a golf cart would be immensely helpful. You know, in a giant on a giant track where, let's say, that's a two and a half mile oval track, and you've yeah. got to get from one side of the paddock area to another. The paddock area is what they call where they park the transports. Uh, so not the pits, but the paddock is where they they park all the cars or the uh, the, the trailers rather. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to get from one side to the other, you're running errands, you know, back and forth to wherever the press box or whatever. Um, a golf cart is just invaluable. I mean, because <laughs> you'd be walking miles and miles and miles that weekend, right. which they probably do anyways. Another thing that is uh, invaluable would be fire safety vehicles. Ah, yes. And uh, EMTs, ambulances. Uh, you can typically what you'll see uh, with the fire safety crew is a pickup truck with the, the proper equipment. And a lot of times the uh, the safety crews, all, of course, who are eminently qualified as both EMTs and firefighters, uh, a lot of times um, you won't ever see how many people are actually in those crews because there are a lot and they're positioned in different parts of the track. Sure. And if you go to uh, a site, it was an IndyCar site, um, IndyCar 101, mm-hmm. and you can check out some of the stuff and, and see exactly what they do for that particular series. And I know that other sites probably have something similar. I didn't dig into every single one right. because it would just be way too big for this podcast. <laughs> um, but you can look into exactly what uh, what they call, um, you know, the safety one vehicle, the safety two vehicle, safety three vehicle. Uh, then they also have the command one vehicle that, you know, houses the doctors. Uh, so they, they all have specific teams of people that go in them and specific equipment that they have. And, you know, um, and a protocol for when they arrive on the scene for how they uh, how they approach each situation. Um, and and the, the equipment that's in each vehicle, let's say that, you know, uh, safety one and two um, have, you know, digital uh, windshield video cameras uh, that begin recording automatically when the yellow light system is activated so that everything is captured so that they can go back and analyze what they do on track and make things better the next time they can yeah. they can say like i you know what you you uh you passed into the uh the caution corridor here where the you know the uh um where the the racing vehicles are you're not supposed to do that and mm-hmm. next time you know stay out of this area take this approach you know this pathway or whatever uh they can kind of uh, it's like looking at game tape for them yeah and it's vital and well it's also vital i mean they've also got you know rear facing cameras to improve visibility they've got um, you know, tow straps for towing cars, emergency strobe lights, you know, so for visibility. Um, of course, you know, horns and sirens that, you know, warn when they're traveling through the pit areas at high rates of speed. Right. Um, or just to warn, you know, the other track officials where they are on the track. Um, rescue equipment, you know, like, um, uh, hydraulic rescue tools, which we'll talk about that in a little uh, bit yes. too. Um, uh, reciprocating saws. They've got, um, you know, uh, spinal immobilization um, backboards and things like that along with them. And that's not the only medical vehicle we're talking about. Cause that's just, it's just the pickup trucks that right, are on the scene. Right. Cause they're, they're typically the first ones to get there. Yes. And then, you know, there's another vehicle that will carry the, um, they'll carry the doctors, you know, the, uh, the, the medical director for the track, whoever that happens to be. So like this one, in this case, uh, uh, for the IndyCar series, it's a, it's a Honda pilot that they use and it doesn't have to be anything special or, Right. Spectacular. Fancy. But it does have some specialty equipment. It has satellite TV. It has a wireless laptop computer, which they can use to download crash data as they approach the scene. So within seconds of that crash, mm-hmm. they're downloading crash data from the car to the doctor so he can see 
what he might be encountering as soon as he gets right. up to that vehicle you yeah. know, on, the, on the track. Um, it's it's invaluable. They've of course got the yellow light system as well, medical equipment, and you know driver stabilization and all that stuff. Um, again, this can carry the medical director, the track doctor, you know, the ER specialist, I guess, um, an orthopedic specialist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the driver, which has um, typically the drivers in all these cars. This is something we should mention. Most of the drivers have some type of racing background. They know how a a hot track operates. So if you're on the track, they know the safety rules. They know where they should be, where they shouldn't be. And that's really critical because I've seen some horrific mistakes made um, on safety crews, you know, with inexperienced members uh, that have, you know, run across. And, you know, there have been some awful tragedies in F1 Mm -hmm. uh, that you can look up if you want. But really bad, bad stuff has happened. Um, But, uh, you know, if everybody kind of knows the lay of the land and what they're supposed to be doing and where they're supposed to be, this all works out really well. Yeah, and so absolutely. I mean, that, okay, we got off on a tangent there, I uh, guess, but it's an important. Ta- it's not. It's I mean, not really a tangent. I guess so. That's a, that's one of the more visible vehicles on the track, though. You know, like the ambulances and the paramedics and all that. That's kind of expected. But you know, we're we're thinking of, about things also, like you know, the golf carts and the shop carts that they have. The pit, you know, I guess you call them a pit cart. Yeah, maybe that that are intended to just carry tools. You know, it's like a rolling toolbox. Yeah, um, or stacks of tires. I mean, have, you know, I know they've got the the hand carts for tire for tires typically, mm-hmm. but you can also stack four or five tires on these uh, on these carts and drive them around. Oh, another uh, another uh, another pretty visible vehicle in rallies, at least, would be the zero car, the opening car, the zero car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the it's the car that opens the road for the actual competing cars. Sure. So one of the whole goals of this is to make sure that the public is not surprised by the pandemonium that's about to occur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is pandemonium, I'll tell you. Right, and then also, yeah, and also so that there's a canary in the coal mine, so to speak, who can let let everyone know if there's a problem with the track ahead for any reason, mm-hmm. originally called zero cars, uh, because they only had one car number zero in in doing that and now now i think a lot of rallies are using multiple zero cars that is a uh that's a, that's a very smart practice mm-hmm. part. i mean it really is and someone to kind of open the road ahead of, the, of them um also what about like motor scooters and things like that how many times have you seen uh you know roger penske on his motor scooter in the pits i mean we get, we see photos of that all the time mm-hmm. um you know he's driving through you know from his trailer up to the uh the penthouse suite or whatever you know yeah. or the elevator or whatever um, it's, it's something that is, uh, again, just an invaluable piece of equipment for them, the team, but it's so simple. It's just a tiny little, you know, like it could be electric, it could be gas. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I, I've seen many of the, uh, the drivers themselves will ride on, on these scooters. Sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll even put two people on them. It looks kind of ridiculous because they're like almost like kids scooters. Right? right. They're pretty small. Yeah. Very small. Um, Kind of look like off-road scooters, something like that, you know, with the big uh, knobby tires and everything. It's it's really kind of funny to see them all on these, you know, considering that they're driving, you know, cars that are worth millions of dollars out on the track. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it makes yeah. me laugh every time, but it does when I see them on a tiny little scooter like uh, that. Those, those are Honda Easy Cubs. Oh, okay, Easy I, Cubs. Okay, yeah, that's, that's so a popular I, one. Uh, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure at least Penske Porsche is uh, using those for their NASCAR stuff. Okay. Uh, the... the um, and I would be willing to bet that most teams have a similar setup. I mean, the same type yeah. of thing. If not, you know, if 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 um, 
Uh, what do you, what do you say? May, who makes them? Their cups? Uh, yeah, Honda. Honda. So I, I don't know, maybe if Honda has a sponsorship with, uh, with NASCAR or whatever, and they all use that maybe. Mm-hmm. There's also a few other vehicles, Ben, that I want to mention that like, uh, like wagons and hand trucks and dollies and things. And I know that's not vehicles, but those are utility tools that they use in conjunction with some of this other stuff. So, you know, they, you may see somebody that's hanging on the back of a, a golf cart that has also has a hand dolly and yeah. they're pulling it almost like as if it's a trailer, uh, with the tires on them. Um, and one that I, I feel like I need to mention this, but I know it's not um, in any way motorized. Okay. It's not really a vehicle, but it's on wheels. <laughs> so it's the pit box. You know, the pit boxes they bring yeah. down into the pit area, and it's that huge thing that they sit in with, uh, you know, the canopies, and it's so got, it's, you know. It's the, mobile, at least. Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing that's got, um, it, it is mobile. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But it's got, you know, like satellite TV. It's got a weather station on top of it. Um, of course, you know, monitors all around. Um, uh, just, it, all the the uh, the team communication gear is there. It's 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 a really cool thing. It's not quite a vehicle, but it's mobile. So I kind of include that with the vehicles and the at the track. I'm kind still kind of kinda, I'm still kind of lost on the on the Easy Cubs because they're specifically the Easy 90s, mm-hmm. and you can find people in forums complaining about how impossible or how difficult it is to find one. Yeah. Because they're super popular and they haven't been made since the early 90s. Oh, okay. So if you find one and you can get a deal on it, uh, I, I promise you guys, you can probably flip it if you don't want to keep it. Uh, see, now I've, I've seen them driving some newer scooter type vehicles around. So I wonder if they're not the, the Honda Cubs. These are something else that's similar. Ah, uh, yeah, Could yeah. Be. And what it would make sense, you know, if they if they're no longer manufactured. Um, but there's another thing here that we should mention, an elephant in the room, uh, the vehicle without which none of the racing would be possible, and that is the transporters, the big rigs, the semis uh, taking the cars, or taking the actual race cars from one track to the next. Yeah, these are the guys that travel across the country with the race team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at huge semi-trailers, semi-tractors. Yeah. Uh, just, it's so impressive when you see these things lined up in the paddock area. I mean, they really are just like uh, like these these enormous, um, impress uh, overly impressive vehicles. Really, I mean, they're right. they're, they're top notch vehicles. Really, and there's more to them than what you see because you know you see them on the outside and they look you know plenty nice. They've got windows up in the front. They've got um, you know awnings attached to them. Usually, there's always uh, you know it seems like in the paddock area if there's room they, again they attach these awnings and they have like a kind of a I don't want to say a picnic setup, but something like that. You know, like a uh, a hospitality area, usually for fans and for people that have special wristbands for the VIP areas. There's something, you know, There's it's very good that you mentioned that because there's something some people might not know about these haulers. What's that? The driver is often also the cook for the team. You know, I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And uh, there was a... That's I, strange. Yeah. And I saw this, uh, I saw this pretty cool... Um, piece on insider racing news about uh, some of the longtime drivers. One is a guy named Bill Stump Lewis. He's the hauler slash driver for the number two Miller Lite team with Penske Racing, or he was at the time, back in 07. And uh, he said he likes it, uh, but uh, the only – he's like, I like it, but it's a, it's a lot of driving – He's been driving semi since he was old enough to have a license, which, uh, as as they say, with all due respect, it was a while ago. And uh, the the lifestyle that you have there during the race, you, you might be home like maybe one night a week, depending on what you're doing. Because if you think about it, 
getting a getting the driver themselves to one race or another it could be as simple as a plane ticket. But this is incredibly expensive cargo. I would rank these guys as precision drivers, uh, and then ha- to have to cook on top of all that, uh, they apparently there's also some difference of opinion between different teams about who has the best cook. Really? Yeah. This is kind yeah. of funny. I never yeah. knew that they, I did, I really didn't know that the, the driver of the semi is typically the cook. And I wonder if, you know, it's known that, let's say that, um, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s driver is the best cook in the, in the, uh, in the <laughs> right, series. Right, right. So, you know, if I can, I'm going to try to be down there around dinner time tonight. Uh, that would be kind of a smart move for a lot of people to make. Even if you're on an opposing team, who knows? Maybe they're, uh, maybe they're friendly in a way that allows for, you know, dinner together. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Yeah, I don't think it's a um I don't think for the um all all the crews it's a it's a hard and fast rule, but the, apparently yeah, the hauler often tends ends up being the uh cook, which it, to me it seems weird cuz after driving for hours and then having to you know these these semis Scott will sometimes park with like about three feet of room between them yeah or less yeah and and having to you know do that precision stuff last thing I want to do is to start slicing up carrots yeah you know? I guess so I mean there's a lot of stress for that job but you know then again maybe that's part of the stress relief you know yeah. some people uh, that that's kind of their letdown I suppose you know that they're not at least they're not sitting in that driver's seat again you know because uh, they probably put a million miles a year on those things i mean they, they travel all over the place no matter what series you're in you're going to be traveling a lot oh for sure now the the particular transporter that i have an example of here like what they include in the in the transport now i think this is you know in general terms kind of what everybody hauls to the racetrack i mean you know whether it's f1 whether it's indycar whether it's nascar whatever it happens to be um if you picture the semi broken up into three different sections, or the trailer, rather, broken up into three different sections, uh, the part that would be kind of like overhanging the back wheels of the semi-tractor, you know, the uh, the fifth wheel area, I guess, uh-huh. that is what they call the meeting area. And, uh, again, that's up near kind of like the, the cab of the semi-tractor. And that's used for, like, debriefings or race strategy sessions or engineering meetings and driver interviews, things like that. It's a comfy area. It's got, you know, the couch and the kitchen and all that stuff up in the front there. Yeah. Um, it's It's more like a camper area. But it's not huge. It's it's relatively small because in the back, on top, if you imagine, you know, the top third of the uh, the back of the the, um, the trailer, you know, less the part that's the uh, the meeting area, on the very top, they have enough room to carry two race cars. They carry the Whoa. primary car and they carry the backup car, and those are on a platform that sits above um, an area that is, um, I guess, it's a rolling shop, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the you know, so they would call it a um, a storage area, really. But it's more than that because the storage area actually encompasses, uh, you know, the driver lockers, the workbench, the drill press, the grinder, the, you know, the uh, the crew lockers, the, the storage areas, things like mm-hmm. that. Whatever they bring from home and what they need to work on the vehicles is in that lower storage area. And it's it's not just storage. It's actually kind of like a workshop. A lot of people say it's like a machine shop, you know, on wheels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really is. It's They can build or create whatever they need. It's, they've got all the essential tools right there. Um, but, but, you know, the, the cars overhead, that, that design, that is so cool. Cause when you see them unloading, they've got those great big platforms that lift the cars up perfectly flat all the way to the yeah, top. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, I don't know which order they load them in, you know, primary or backup car, but, um, you know, one, you know, nose to tail right in front of each other. And, uh, God, that it would have to be so nerve wracking to drive a semi truck, which is, you know, I mean, this is already worth probably a million bucks with just, you know, the machine shop and, you know, the, uh, um, I guess the RV type setup in the front, plus right. the, the cab and the, the tractor and trailer sure. and all that stuff, and then to add on to that, a couple of cars that are worth maybe a couple million each. No kidding. Oh man, what a, what an expensive load to haul. So there's a lot of responsibility on those guys. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe cooking a meal is something that's pretty relaxing to them after that. You know what? You're you're persuading me on this one, Scott. <laughs> Just a little but bit. I those mean, those race transporters themselves are amazing, especially when you see. The, uh, the customized stuff like Featherlight has, uh, those pretty impressive. You can check out on their website, uh, Featherlight Specialty. Uh, they have featherlightspecialty.com. They have, uh, uh, some pictures up of a few of their transports from the interior, you know, yeah. and it really is 
a mobile garage. Yeah, and every know? one of them is custom made because everybody has their own individual needs. I mean, mm-hmm. I know there's general needs for a series, but then every shop and every every uh, team has their own specific purpose right. or their own specific needs. Hey, I have I have one that is a um, I have one vehicle that is not. I don't know. I'm putting in just because I thought it was funny. All right. It's for uh, bike races. Bike races. Okay. Bicycle races. All right. Not even motorbikes. All right. Uh, <clears throat> it's called a sag wagon. A sag wagon. Yeah. Never heard of it. So if you're uh, if you're on a, a long bicycling event, right, a a, bis- a tour or something, uh, then this support vehicle vehicle follows behind. And it picks up uh, cyclists who are sagging. Really? Yeah, from so, you know, from like I guess the the heat or the exertion. These are the something. ones that give up. The, yeah, somebody that comes or, and picks you up. Or there's a mechanical issue where you right. can't continue. Your bike breaks down. Uh, so they would also, you know, they'd have the the food, water, and then they'd also have bike parts, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Okay, interesting. Sag wagon. I like that. I just, yeah, it was a weird name. Now I've got a, I've got a kind of a, a surprise vehicle coming up in just a moment, but okay. uh, but I'd like to talk about a few more on track vehicles that you might see and. And these are just, you know, like a, a random grouping of vehicles for a lot of different places. We talked about the safety car, you know, the pace car, um, paramedic trucks, uh-huh. ambulances, things like that. Cleanup crew would be another one because there's a crew that goes out just to clean up parts off the track. Right. Uh, they all hop out with their gloves on and their uh, their boots and, you know, make sure that every little bit of carbon fiber is picked up. That's got to be a tough job, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, cleaning up oil spills. Oh, gosh. Fuel spills. And yeah. Every tiny little shred of stuff and every nut and bolt because, uh, you know, that stuff can become... Uh, projectiles that can kill a driver at speed. So, yes. um, it's, it's definitely something that is a difficult job. Um, we mentioned tow trucks, sort of, I guess. You know, that's something that you can picture them hauling a car off of the track, you know, a car that's no longer viable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of dangling behind the tow truck on a, on a crane almost. Um, there are also a good number of flatbed trucks out there too that, you know, they, with a crane attachment that they can, hoist the car on top of that so it's not dangling and swinging as they bring it back into the pit area. It's, it's more like um, a flatbed like you'd see on any any road, really. Um, I know that none of this is really surprising, but um, maybe one that would surprise you is that a lot of tracks will also have a helicopter on standby. And if they have the space, mm-hmm. if it's a big enough track and the budget is big enough for, the big, for a big enough series, they will have a helicopter on standby so that if there is a driver that is critically injured, uh, they can quickly transport them to the nearest uh, you know, major hospital that has a trauma center, mm-hmm. something that is capable of dealing with that type of injury, because oftentimes these are really traumatic injuries. Yeah, and seconds count. Exactly right. And, you know, to put them in an ambulance and drive them across town, uh, again, you lose valuable seconds in some cases. And um, so I've, I've been to a track a couple times when I've seen, unfortunately, a few drivers lifted out with a helicopter. But it, mm-hmm. it's dramatic when it happens and everything stops. And, you know, it, it just, once they're gone, it's back to racing. But, um it's scary to see it happen like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, oh, we didn't think about this, with track drying equipment. Uh, you know, the uh, the big jet engines that have nozzles that are directional that they uh, drive around. If there's a, a rain delay, oh, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. drive them around the track extremely slow, and they're blowing the uh, the wind across it to try to get them to to, uh, to dry off. They also take a lot of the other vehicles, like the, the pickup trucks for the emergency, uh, you know, the corner workers, mm-hmm. and they allow them to drive on the track because that helps dry the track as well. It's all very, very slow. If you've ever been to a race that has a rain out or that, you know, has a, a yeah. delayed start or, you know, a stoppage because of rain, this is one of the most frustrating times in 
you can imagine because you know, think about how long it takes to drive a racetrack to the point where it's right. safe to to, dra- to you know to drive at 200 miles an hour into a turn yeah um, and uh people i i remember as a kid seeing stuff like that and people uh would all decide to go back to the stands to try to uh pick up a snack or something like yeah, that yeah so you couldn't even go there cuz the lines were huge yeah, you, you had to sit down and to date myself a little is before cell phones. So you just kind of wait it out. You just have to sit there and think, of, <laughs> think about something, right? Think about something pleasant, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's track drying equipment. There's also um, a lot of street sweeper type equipment. There. Sure. Now, the type yeah. that, you know, vacs up the stuff. There's also uh, big brush trucks that just, you know, simply push the material off to the side. And this, this varies by track surface. So let's say that you have a, uh, a gravel track, not a gravel, but um, a dirt track. Uh, you would have grading uh, equipment that would go along with that. Now, that's something – see, this is where we get into – it's very specialized for the for the track. So it's, a, again, a small-town uh, dirt track, you know, small, like let's say half-mile yeah. dirt track versus a, uh, you know, one-mile oval or something. It's going to be completely a completely different group of support vehicles that you'll need for that. I mean, there's some similarity, some overlap, but uh, you don't need, you know, earth-grading materials on the asphalt track, whereas you would on the dirt track. That just goes without saying – but then again, like think you're let's say that you're at a state fairgrounds and you have a um, an arena that's dirt that they run the demolition derby in maybe on one mm-hmm. weekend, and then yeah. the next weekend, you know, for, for the uh, for the fans they have um, a tractor pull event, and you're going to need grading equipment for that. So you're going to have to something to smooth out the ruts in between uh, the poles. Yeah, that's uh, that's again a second uh, another type of um, racing support vehicle, and we call it a race even though it's an exhibition probably <laughs> really as you said before. Yeah. Then. Um, you're going to need a big tractor to pull the sled all the way back the opposite direction. Right, right. yeah. You know, it gets easier and easier, I guess. And, Ben, you know what? There's there's probably a couple more vehicles that I want to talk about. I want to save one for the very end. All right. Because it's one that I had never seen before. A really interesting piece of equipment. But we should talk a little bit about um, a, a safety car that you likely won't see at a track anymore, but you will recognize the equipment that it hauled at one time. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, can we let the cat out of the bag? Please do. Okay, so uh, you have probably heard of the Jaws of Life. It's something that uh, your local police and uh, fire rescue departments may have on hand. And we have an episode about this, but here's the trivia from that episode. Yeah. The first use, the Jaws of Life, occurred on a racetrack. Yeah. Way back in 1972, and this is a, a surprise twist to it because of the vehicle that they use. Now it's a <laughs> it's it, now the Hurst rescue tool. Now Hurst was involved in racing, of course, Hurst yeah. shifters and you know, yeah. Hurst equipment, racing equipment. Um, but Hurst also created a, um, a hydraulic rescue tool because they recognized the need for um, extracting drivers quickly from these uh, these dangerous situations on these smaller tracks, these smaller racetracks mm-hmm. around all around the U.S. and so they've got this uh, this you know background in racing. They realize this need. They um, they decided to create this hydraulic rescue tool that would uh, you know well you know what the jaws of life does really right. it, it either crimps or spreads or cuts or mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of different um, attachments that you can get for these things now. It was a little bit more basic back in the first you know the first first uh, iteration. Yeah, I guess you're right. The first generation of this whole thing. Uh, but we're talking about you know 1972 till about 1974. They mounted their their safety tool because it was a big apparatus at the time mm-hmm. they mounted it in a smaller vehicle something that could get to the scene much faster than the ambulance could even get there because we're talking about those big uh, ambulances at the time and you know it wasn't that they were all that slow or anything but 
They needed something a little bit more mobile, something that could get into tight spots. And, a little you know, more agile. Yeah, that could work around the other rescue vehicles as well. So they took their tool and they mounted it into an AMC Gremlin of all vehicles. Yep, you heard it correctly. An AMC Gremlin. So they, they chose the AMC Gremlin as their Hearst safety vehicle. And you can look up the Hearst safety vehicle, again, from 1972 to about 1974. And that's when they just sold them to racetracks. They would sell them to these local tracks that needed uh, this type of equipment or that wanted this type of equipment because it was kind of expensive. I think it was around, I'm going to ballpark this, it was like $12,000. Wow. Something around that area. Uh, a lot of money back then. Um, and again, they were originally only sold at racetracks, but later outside of, you know, after 1974, they were sold outside to, you know, public safety agencies. So you could find these Hearst safety vehicles on the, on the highways patrolling as well. And uh, then you know, as the equipment became smaller and smaller and smaller as technology advanced, right. they were able to package this a little better. Then it just became a unit that they could carry in another vehicle. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessary to have a completely separate vehicle for the whole thing. But uh, how cool would that be to see a, uh, a Hearst safety vehicle pull out onto the track? I mean, I know it's in a bad situation right. that they're yeah. using it, but it would be interesting to just maybe observe it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, with nothing bad going on. Right, right. You, know, right. you, could, you could have a tour of the vehicle. Maybe. Like to see a tour of the vehicle or maybe a, a dry run. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, but what a what a cool little bit of history, I guess. And, you know, mm-hmm. this, uh, you know with the, with Hearst and, and AMC and this rescue tool, you know, the, the, the birth of the jaws of life, really, in, in the AMC Gremlin. No one really yeah. thinks about that. Especially when you look at a Gremlin and you know how large the original <laughs> jaws of life you know, was. I got to say, I think... We mentioned it in our Jaws of Life podcast, which was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a while um, back. Several years ago, maybe in, I think, 2013 or 2012 or something like that. I have never heard anybody else talk about the Hearst safety vehicle other than us. Really? Yeah. I have not, I have not heard of it. Now, I know that there's probably, you know, forums online where people mention Someone it. has. And, and yeah. we had to dig up the information from somewhere. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so it came from somewhere, but... As far as like, you know, just a, a general discussion about this and, you know, watch, I watch a lot of racing programs. I, I've uh, been to a lot of racing tracks. Sure. No one's ever really brought this up, I think, other than, uh, other than us. Well, uh, our own horn, I guess. <laughs> if you would like to, uh, hear that in its totality, you can, I'll just say you can go ahead and check out our website, carstuffshow.com, where we have every single podcast we've ever done. But before we go any further, Scott, is it time for the surprise vehicle? Yeah, I'll just I'll count this as one more thing. One more thing. All right, so here it is, Ben. Now we haven't really talked about drag strips, mm-hmm. and at drag strips, there's uh, there's some specialty equipment going on there as well. They have they have scraping machines which scrape the track because there's a down you know there's rubber that's on the track. There's uh, there's you know materials that that are deposited on the track that are that are just ground in. Uh, so they want a nice surface. They they have uh, they have washing machines. They have um, rinsing machines. All kinds of uh, very highly specialized equipment that they use at a drag strip, as they do at any other track, like we've talked about. Um, so mm-hmm. this is maybe one of the strangest vehicles I've ever seen. Ben. Yeah. It, there's a there's a vehicle, and I, I don't even know if it's it's not really a vehicle. It's more of an attachment, I guess, to a, a giant tractor. They usually put on a huge tractor that has a PTO, and a PTO is a power takeoff. It's something that you can attach. Um, some type of uh, an accessory to an attachment that's usually a chain driven thing. You know, there's a shaft that comes out of the uh, of the transmission on the tractor. It dry, it spins, and mm-hmm. uh, you can shift it. You can turn it on and off. Uh, sometimes you can adjust the speed with it as well, and it drives the accessory, whatever that accessory happens to be. And usually it's a farming implement, something like that. But at a racetrack, uh, they have something that's called a track prep machine. 
or the, for the drag strip. Track prep machine. The track prep machine at the drag strip. Now, the idea behind this is that uh, they want to lay down fresh rubber on the track, but not just right at the starting line where they need the grip. They lay it down the full length of the track. So when you look at it, it's like this big, sticky, black, matte surface almost, but it's got to be uniform. So here's how they do it. They have this this uh, this bracket that they attach to the back of a, a huge tractor, and it in- incorporates four, um, I think what I saw, the measurement was like 17-inch slick tires, so so drag racing tires. Okay. You know, the slicks, no, yeah, yeah. no, uh, no tread at all. Uh-huh. All right in a row, just kind of lined up in, in one, uh, almost like a tube. And then that is driven backwards. So like the tractor's moving forward, the wheels are spinning backwards. Oh, okay. And, and it's being driven by the the, uh, the PTO on the, on the tractor as it drives forward. And then they just slowly lower those drag slicks down onto the track surface as they're spinning backwards and the tractor's moving forwards and it lays down a uniform layer of rubber and they'll do this several times over each lane back and forth mm-hmm. and it lays down just this this mat of rubber for the the tires so, so that the uh, the drag cars have good grip you know they have good grip on it's rubber on rubber yeah like hot rubber on hot rubber yeah and the sound that this thing makes when it's going down the track now imagine you know like screeching tires right right now this is four drag slicks that are that are spinning backwards so it's like screeching tires the entire way i mean it's like the the most annoying sound ever i mean it is kind of cool to see but you could only stand that for so long really yeah it's, exactly it gets pretty intense and you can even see that on some clips you can watch video clips of a uh of a track prep machine at any drag strip mm-hmm. and it's the same thing the same thing that they do everywhere and the noise is just unbelievable. Well, because they're literally scraping it across the road. Yeah, they're you know, adding they're rubber to the track. track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and this is something that I am going to have to check out. You know, I don't, I haven't been to uh, a drag strip in God since I was a kid, man. Yeah. I just, I was into other forms of racing, mm-hmm. so I, I am uh, a little uneducated about it. Well, prior to being there with, uh, you know, the the Rally North America group mm-hmm. that I was just there for. Um, I hadn't been to a drag strip in years as well. Mm-hmm. And I had just been there as a casual, you know, weekend observer, you know, like just yeah. watching some uh, small time drag race. And uh, I didn't really think that they did that tra- kind of track prep for the entire length of the track, the full quarter mile. I thought that it was something that they would, uh, you know, maybe do in the, pre- in the, uh, yeah. um, you know, the, uh, the burnout area, I guess. And that's, and I thought that just grew, um, I guess organically, you know, through, through the burnouts, through all that, I didn't know that they really prepped that area that way. I knew that they scraped it and kept it kind of level, mm. but I didn't know that they actually laid down a fresh coating of rubber. And 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 not only that, the entire length of the track. We've got to go. We've got to take a field trip. <laughs> well, we should, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Noel, you'll probably uh, go with us. He's nodding slightly, enigmatically, but I think our chances are good. So Noel, the jaws of life brown. Yes, Noel, the Jaws of Life Brown. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are actually going to go uh, maybe to a drag strip, but we'll have to get out of the studio first. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you check out the information we mentioned at the top about the Lane Museum. You can find more of that on our uh, social media stuff, our Twitter and our Facebook. We already mentioned our website, but it's pretty cool. Check it out. I and- plan to... Yeah, we'll post a few photos from the Lane Motor Museum on our Facebook. So yeah. sometime soon that'll be coming out. Yeah, it's uh, stuff that you can see that for one reason or another might not make it to the podcast. Yeah, and if you know of any other 
uh, racing support vehicles that we have neglected in this episode <laughs> because I'm sure that there are maybe, oh, I don't know, Ben, 100 or 200 that sure. we yeah. weren't able to get to. Uh-huh. Uh, there's so many of those, but please let us know because I, and I'm really interested in some of the specialty equipment, some of the, some of the stuff that you just wouldn't find anywhere else. It's only yeah. good at like, like, you know, that, uh, the track prep machine at a drag strip. Like the equivalent of a Zamboni. That's it's, what that is. Exactly. Yeah, do let us know. You can tweet at us. You can drop us a message on the Facebook site, or you can write to us directly. We are Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.